again, good morning to you. I hope it is a blessed morning for you. As we um, are coming off those moments of prayer, let me um, add to your prayer list this week, or just ask you to keep this in your prayer uh, prayers, and that is tomorrow we will have, I believe, 26 of our young people and two adults that are going to be going to Leesburg for camp. So they'll be leaving tomorrow. So um, pray for them, pray for the camp, um, and, uh, and just that it really, that it is a transformational week, that it's a fun week. Uh, like I said, every, every year it's just a great experience for these young people. And really thank you for your support of our youth ministry and your support of their pancake breakfast and, and the things that you do to, to support their um, activities and outreach events because you really do make this possible so that every kid that wants to go to camp is able to go to camp. So we are, we are looking um, forward to that for them and want to uh, want to keep that in prayer. Now, speaking of, of young people, or specifically thinking a little bit about education, how many of you um, like science? How many of you were like good? I, I see a few of you, I know. Okay, a smattering of you. Uh, how many of you were good at it? Got good grades in science. All right, little test. How many of you remember, and this is probably a setup because I'm looking at Lily back there. It's probably going to nail this in a heartbeat. But the three, Newton's three laws. Remember Newton's three laws? Do you remember, do you remember what they are? What's Newton's first law? <laughs> That's good. A body in motion stays in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. The second law was the equation, which is um, force equals mass times acceleration. I, I hope I'm getting this right. <laughs> Apparently, if I'm not, you all don't know, so it's okay. <laughs> um, and the third law, which is, what's, anybody remember the third law? Every action causes an equal, some of you remember, every, some of you are like, I think I know, but I don't want to say it out loud in case I'm wrong. Every action causes or has an equal and opposite reaction. And, and that's, that's one of the one I was thinking about this morning, action and reaction. I, I was thinking about that in, in kind of terms of, of every action has a, every cause has an effect, if you will. And, and every action has an impact. And it's a lesson that I remember we would work to teach in my days of, of youth ministry. When I did youth ministry with young people, obviously, because you don't do youth ministry with older people, when you do it with young people, um, is teaching them this concept that actions have consequences. Uh, you know, it's foundational to our ability to, to function in societies to understand that everything that we do causes a reaction, has some sort of an impact. And so we do, as you do with young people a lot of times, we do a little object lesson, a little, little fun with them. I did this a few times over the years, and um, it, wasn't an, an, it wasn't original to me. I got it from, from somebody else. But you would, you would get the kids together, and this worked best outside with a, with a ball like this. And you needed to be in front of a, a stone or a brick wall, a hard wall that you weren't going to damage like I would if I started chucking things at, at this wall here. And um, what you would do is you'd need a couple volunteers. And usually I learned over the years it was best to pick your middle schoolers. Middle school boys were the best at this because um, middle school boys haven't yet often developed the skill of thinking through their, their behaviors. And they would go for it. And they're looking to impress. Now, it's not just middle school girls or high school boys or girls. They, yeah, you got to know the kids, so you could kind of figure out who would, who would be really good at this. But what you would do is you'd, you'd get them in front of a wall, 
and you get them, you know, maybe you know, just a few feet away, and you tell them, you know, Matt, I want you to impress us. I want you to show us what you, you play to their ego. Show us what you got. Take this ball, and you chuck it level as hard as you can against the wall. Show us how hard you can throw that ball against that wall, about eye level. And, of course, they'd want to kind of impress everybody and show how hard they could throw it. Now, what's going to happen when they chuck that ball against the wall? That's right. It's coming back. And if it worked, if it worked, it hit them square. I mean, it came back. Now, listen, let me say this. You did this with kids you knew. It was not to embarrass a kid. That was never the goal. You had to know the kids and know that they'd go with it. But, but when it worked, they'd throw that ball with everything they had, and that thing would wing right back at them. And if it really got them good, if it tagged them good, they'd look at you, they'd look at me like I was to blame. And they'd go, why did you do that? And they'd go, I didn't do that. You did that. But you told me to. I didn't make you do it. And you'd let that be the bridge to the lesson. You'd let that be a, a, a discussion that every action has reaction. Every action has consequence. And, and I brought this really not because I needed a ball for the lesson, but I figured if anybody falls asleep today, we're going to do a lesson on action and reaction here. But um, i got to put it down because if I don't, I'll bounce it the whole time and it'll drive you nuts. But that's the idea is that we, we need to learn this lesson. And see, the thing is, this isn't a lesson for young people. This is a lesson for all of us because we tend to forget this. I, I mean, I was privy to a, a conversation, a social media conversation recently. I wasn't involved in it. I was just watching it, you know, as an as, as a onlooker, if you will, as sometimes we do. And it was somebody who was just griping up a storm because they got busted for speeding. They got busted on Moccasin Wallow. Now, here's your service, and this is your warning here. If you have not paid attention on Moccasin Wallow, it is now a 45-mile-an-hour 45, 45 speed limit all the way. It used to be 55, now it's 45, so adjust accordingly. And they didn't, and they got nabbed for speeding. And they were going off. It was unfair for the county to change the speed limit. It was unfair for the officer to give and expect them. They were doing 27 over the speed limit. This wasn't, a, and the officer gave them a, a ticket for nine over. So the officer was pretty cool to him as begin with. But here's what I was looking for. In this whole rant about all of this and all the response, I just wanted to see if at some point, and boy, I hope whoever was doing that is not in here today. Um, <laughs> I didn't think that one through. Did I know the name? Uh, but in nowhere in there, I mean, I can understand being frustrated. I get all of that. But nowhere in that whole discussion did I see the individual go, yeah, but maybe I shouldn't have done 27 over. At no point was there any recognition that my action actually had a consequence. I get being frustrated. Most of us have gotten a speeding ticket at some point. It's okay to be mad about that. But at some point, we have to go, well, if I was speeding, that's on me. And that was what was lacking. So this isn't something that we just learn when we're kids and we, we hold on to the lesson. It's a, it's a lesson that challenges us our entire lives. Action, reaction. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, used another image for that, which we're going to look at right now. So let's turn to, to Galatians chapter 6, just three verses here, 7 through 10, uh, that we're going to read. And this is what Paul says to the church. He says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Again, cause, action, and reaction. 
Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us. It's a, a lesson that we need to hear. Challenge us in these words. Challenge the words that I speak. Speak through the words that I speak. And through your holy word, that, that everything that we do here would be pleasing to you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, so I use a ball and, and a wall and, and a reaction, a bounce back, if you will, like that. Paul uses an, a, an imagery that is common in the biblical narratives that we see over and over again, which is sowing and reaping. It was an agricultural society. They understood the concept of, of, of planting and, and harvesting. So, so Paul here uses that image of sowing and reaping. Jesus uses this imagery. The prophets in the Old Testament use this imagery. Later in the epistles, we get some of these images, sowing and reaping. In fact, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 9 that, that if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But if you sow abundantly, you reap abundantly. And, and the concept here is that really, I think the, the, the heart of the lesson is that we have impact, we have influence in the reality that we experience in life, that, that there, our actions shape our, often shape our experiences, shape our relationships, shapes our faith and our connection to others in the way that, that we experience life. It's not to say that everything we experience is a result of what we do. There are times we are truly victims of circumstance. But those experiences probably are far less frequent when the times that we really reap the result of, of the life that we've lived and, and the way that we have invested in our connection to God and to others. And so Paul uses this imagery to, to kind of say that we have some, some influence there uh, that, that, and that our life and our choices has consequences. And that's important for us to think through a little bit. That's important for us to, to own that, that we have to make choices all the time. And we can't have the best of, of both worlds, if you will. We can't live our lives simply for ourselves and then expect others around us and the, the, the impact of that kind of a life than to have the fruit of, of deep and meaningful connections with God and with others. And, 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 you know, Paul says there's consequences there. But too often we don't live that way. We, we kind of want our hand in both. There, there's a, a story it's told of a, of a little boy in Sunday school class. And the teacher, they were, they were doing the lesson from, uh, from the Gospel of Luke where the parable Jesus teaches of the rich man and Lazarus. If you remember that story, Jesus tells the, the rich man who has the best of everything in this life and shares nothing, and the poor man, Lazarus, who has nothing in this life, and when they die, the rich man goes into torment, and the, the poor man goes to heaven. And, and that's kind of the heart of the story. And so the teacher asked the little boy, said, well, which, who do you want to be? And he says, oh, I want to be the rich man in this life and Lazarus in the next. You know, I, I want to kind of live here, but, but that's not the way it works. Paul says that's a, you, don't, you don't get to, to sow one seed and reap another harvest. When I was growing up as a kid, we'd go every summer to my um, grandparents' 
house up in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. I've talked about them. And, and my grandfather had a you-pick-it berry farm. And there were the blueberries and blackberries and raspberries and, and I don't think he had strawberries. I don't remember strawberries. So it was those, those berries. Well, he had to know what seed was being sown. He had to know that. You can't just throw the seed and expect it all to grow the way that you want it to. The growth comes from what you, what you sow. And, and, and that's the simple and, and the, the succinct object lesson that, that Paul's wanting to, to communicate. So he says, you have a choice. He really gives us these contrasting choices. You can sow according to the flesh, or you can sow according to the Spirit. And so I started to think about that. I thought, well, well how do we understand this difference? What does it mean to sow according to the flesh? What does it mean to sow according to the Spirit? And that's where I always say, and I know I'm a broken record here, that when we study Scripture, like we did today, with three verses out of Galatians 6, you, you need to go read more of Galatians. Because Paul is not, Paul didn't write in chapter and verse. Jesus didn't speak in chapter and verse. We, we do that so we can find our place. Otherwise, we'd spend a lot of time just trying to figure out where we were in the Bible. The chapter and verse is for us to identify places. Paul's writing a letter in its continuity. And so he's talked about spirit and flesh. In fact, one chapter before, he talked about spirit and flesh. In, in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about what a, spirit, what a life sown in the flesh looks like. And when you get to verse 19, this is what he talks about. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the flesh looks like. Then, then he talks about the Spirit, and this should be familiar to you, or many of you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control against these things there is no law so so flesh he lists these behaviors that he would categorize as living by the flesh and here the fruits of the spirit which are behaviors by the spirit and I, I sort of think so so is our intention here is to create should we put up a, a big chalkboard and should we start writing okay don't do this 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 because these are sins of the flesh. And do this, do this, do this, and do this because this is fruits of the Spirit. And there's certainly some value in those kind of discussions. But I, I don't think Paul's intention here is to create an, an exhaustive list of all of these things. But to give us an example of these two options before us. To give us the, the example of, of what these two choices are that we have for the action that we live that will dictate the reaction we receive. And here's how I, maybe I'm guilty of oversimplification here, but here's how I look at it. Sins of the flesh are those behaviors that are all about me. Right? You go and you look at that, that list that Paul, Paul says, and those are all behaviors that say, I'm going to do what I want to do for me. You know, there's the big stuff, the sexual morality that we think about, but there's fits of rage, there's anger, there's jealousy. I mean, jealousy is a self-centered sin, right? Isn't it? Because why should I be jealous if good things happen to you? If I'm not looking at me thinking, well, that should be me. If I don't want what you have, that's what jealousy is, covetedness. The scriptures warn about this. I, it's, it's not enough that you have it, I don't. 
and, and anger and hatred. Hatred is just an unwillingness to let go of bitterness and brokenness. There are people that will genuinely wrong you, no doubt. But when you harbor that, it becomes about you. We have to learn how to let go of that. The sins of the flesh are the sins are the selfishness. And, and we identify that in others so much easier than we do in ourselves because we think about the big things, but it is an easy trap to fall into. It's so subtle and so destructive spiritually to us. Tony and I went Friday night to, um, to St. Petersburg to, to hear, um, uh, uh, there's a little um, uh, hole-in-the-wall place called the Hideaway Cafe. Nothing had been there, and they have live music there. It was wonderful. And um, my brother, we went with my brother and his wife, and he had a fraternity brother that was playing that night. You know, about a room for about 30 to 40 people. And uh, we're dri- so we're driving to St. Pete and had to get off at 31st Street. Those of you who know St. Pete, you get off the interstate, it's a left exit. And when you get off, you've got to then turn left. But there's no light there, so traffic backs up. And you've got to wait because cars have to wait to get out. And there's only one lane, so everybody's just sitting in the line. Well, here's what starts happening. Cars start coming down, and rather than getting in line, they go in the turn lane, lane to go the other way. And as they bend around, then they just whip back. And I'm looking at them, and every time they do it, I'm getting madder and madder. I'm wishing evil on people. I mean, I'm just like tires bursting, engines blowing. I mean, I'm just, just as I'm watching this, I'm getting more and more frustrated at this selfishness that I'm seeing. But here's the danger. My own reaction is an indication of my own selfishness. Now, you say, well, that's justified. It's okay. Yeah, okay. I get it. But here's the thing. They really weren't hurting me. I mean, they were, they were, it was not the safest thing, and there was an, but they wasn't hurting me. It was my own sense that you're skipping me, that you're doing something I'm not doing, and therefore I have a right to be angry with you. And I started to harbor a resentment. That resentment in and of itself is an indication of a selfishness. It's an indication of a self-centeredness. Now, I'm not saying that behavior is okay. We can let law enforcement deal with that. But the point is, it really wasn't harming me. It just violated my sense of what's fair. Well, I'll tell you what. If we all got to impose our sense of fair on everyone else, this world would be a pretty miserable place. And so my point is just this. It is easy to identify the sins of the flesh in other people. It's much more challenging to see it in ourselves. But, but Paul says that the sins of the flesh are the selfishness. But, but God calls us to a different life, and that's the sins of the Spirit. The sins of the Spirit are about others. They are, it is a reflection of Jesus, because if you want to talk about a, a, you know, if we did a character trait of Jesus, you know what we'd end up with? We'd end up with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, self-control, compassion. Those are the things that are evident in the life of Christ. We're called to emulate the life of Christ. And a life in the Spirit, by its very nature, is a life that sees beyond ourselves. It sees beyond our own selfish interests and sees the needs of others. And it puts us in a right, right relationship with God. And it puts us in a right and healthy relationship with others. And Paul says to that, don't grow weary of that kind of life. And I think that's interesting, don't grow weary of that. Because, as some of you know, that, that plant and harvest, uh, that takes time. 
This is not to say that every time you behave appropriately and compassionately and by the Spirit, that everyone responds to you the way you want them to. Sometimes we have to plant seed after seed after seed and water and nurture in hopes that God will bring growth. We have to stay consistent. We have to stay faithful even when the, the, the growth isn't apparent. I, I, was, I was reading, uh, I came across an example of this uh, about the, the Chinese bamboo tree. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Chinese bamboo tree. But it's an interesting example, I think, of this lesson of patience. Because when you plant a, Chinese bamboo, a seed for a Chinese bamboo tree, the first year, nothing. Nothing. The second year, nothing. The third year, nothing. The fourth year, nothing. The fifth year, the fifth year, in six weeks, that seed will grow 90 feet. It's almost like watching it in real time. 90 feet. And so if I said to you, well, how long does it take the Chinese bamboo tree to grow? You might look at the growth and say, well, it takes six weeks to grow. But that would be wrong. It takes five years to grow. Because if you stop watering in the first year, the seed dies. You stop watering in the second year, the seed dies. You stop watering in the third year, the seed dies. You get the point. It takes five years to grow, but six weeks to see the fruits of the growth. Paul says, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in that which Christ has called us to. Don't grow weary because when we grow weary, our attention turns back to us. And we become, we fall back into the traps of, of self-centered. It's about me. It's about me. Rather, we live by a different call. And, and the, the seeds that we sow, the, the ball that we throw is coming back at us. What's coming back? What's coming back? John Wesley is attributed to having written and, and, and proclaimed this as kind of a, a personal mantra, and, and there's a lot of scholarly discussion of actually it's him or not, but, but I think it's a, it's a powerful truth. And he says, do all the good you can, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, to all the people you can, in all the times you can. In other words, don't grow weary of doing good. You continue to do that as long as you can. To all the people and all the places and all the ways and by all the means, as long as you can, continue in the faithfulness. Do good. You have an impact on the kind of experience that dominates your life, that, that defines your life. You and I do. The law of attraction. You know, I often say if, if you find yourself surrounded by people who are negative and bitter and, and angry all the time, maybe you need ask yourself, am I negative, bitter, and angry all the time? If you're not attracting the kind of people that, that are in your life that, that build and lift and nurture, then, then maybe it's because you yourself, and I know this is a hard thing to see in ourselves, are not building and nurturing the way that we've been called. Maybe what's happened is we've become focused on what we want rather than who we should be. And what's bouncing back at us what we're harvesting is not the seed that we want to be sowing. If you want people to love you, love them. If you want people to be compassionate towards you, be compassionate towards them. If you want people to be generous with their time and their investment of, and their energy, be generous in your time and your energy. 
want people to be gracious. Be gra- you want people to speak well of you. Speak well of them. That is the way of Jesus. That's the life that Jesus led. That's life in the Spirit. That's who we're called to be. It changes what we see. And it takes our human nature to be self-centered. And by the Spirit, turns us outward toward God and toward others. Jesus says, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, both all tell us the great command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul says, treat others. Do good to others. And, and there's a little addendum there, which is a whole different sermon. But especially those within the body of believers. You know, sometimes we're the worst to each other. Side note. You know, be the church. And let the graciousness and love start here and then spill out. But, but don't grow weary in doing good. Let the attention, let the focus turn. I, I, I thought about that, that classic story as, as I was thinking about what this looks like. Uh, the story that I, I'm going to just assume we all know, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And the transforma- transformation of Ebenezer Scrooge. And at the end of the story, after the visit with the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future, you remember his life is different. And all of a sudden, he experiences life different. And it says there, as as Dickens writes, that he was out for the walk. And and he was attentive to the needs of others. And he saw people gathered. And he saw people in their kitchens gathering. And and, and he just, he saw different life differently and he cared about people differently and at the end he says that he didn't know such a walk or anything could give him such joy he didn't know such a walk anything could give him such joy the the reality around him was no different before the night than it was after but what was different is what he saw and no longer was it all about him but he saw the needs of others that's the seed that we're called to sow that's the the ball that we're called to throw you know, it's the action and reaction. What are the actions of your lives that are dictating the reactions and the realities that you experience? Do we live by the flesh or are we willing to be subservient and open and obedient to the fruits of the Spirit? Action and reaction. The challenge, are we receiving an equal to measure to what we're given? Let's pray. Lord, that we would be challenged, that we'd be challenged in these moments to to take an honest look at the lives that we're leading and the the experiences and the relationships that we're a part of, and to just be challenged to to live by the Spirit, to to fight that tendency to to see our needs, to see our wants first, to to see us first, but rather in focusing on you, we focus on others, and we become what we want others to be. And so, Lord, help us to live into that, to to be like Jesus. It's tough, and we will fall short from time to time, but, Lord, give us the the courage and the the strength to, to be strong and to keep pushing forward so that we would be faithful to your call upon our lives. We pray this in Christ Jesus. Amen. And And as with everything, we don't do this on our own strength, but we do it through the power of Christ at work within us that allows us to see things differently and challenge our inner nature. And so Jesus gives us, again, this lesson of of seeing things not just for what they are, but 
but what he intends them to be. And he does it at the table. When gathered with disciples, he takes bread, and he gives thanks to God, and he breaks it. And he says to them, what you see is bread. This is my body. And I, it is broken for you. When you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus takes the cup and he gives thanks to God. And he says, this is my blood of a new covenant poured out for you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And so we open our hearts to receive the power of Christ at work in our lives, to become a reflection of Jesus and to learn to see and to live and to be inspired by the Spirit to, to live in a way that bears the fruit of the Spirit. Friends, let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would bless for us these gifts of bread and juice, that we'd see them as so much more, that we'd understand that this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of salvation. And, and through your forgiveness, we have the promise of life. When we fall short, and we so often do, we receive through the gift of Christ grace, forgiveness, restoration. But our call then is to live like it. Our call is to, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to live a life that reflects the fruit of the Spirit and reflects Jesus. Lord, help us to do that faithfully. Help us to do that obediently, and one day we know we will enter your kingdom. One day this meal will be forever shared at your heavenly banquet. But until that time, find us faithful. Unite us together through your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us in faith. And may all that we do and all that we offer be to the glory of Christ our Lord. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.